0: And we got some little kids that are going to miss them too as their work and ministry in our uh, preschool area. So thank you, uh, Gerald and Karen, so much. You guys have been here a long time and you're rooted in here and we're going to miss you very much. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we would like to thank you for this this morning. And as we uh, think about almost a year and a half that we haven't had anybody in that choir loft. We thank you Lord that we're able to do that now and I pray your blessings upon our music ministry. I pray your blessings to uh, pull the choir together and, and put people in there who are supposed to be there and that they would see it as a privilege and a calling to be able to sing and lead the praises of God. Thank you for the praise team and the orchestra that have been here every week throughout the pandemic even when nobody was in the auditorium and we were doing it all by live stream they were here and they were faithful may you bless them may you fill in the gaps uh, things like a bass player and anything else that brother dale may need we pray that you would do that that it would all be for your glory and that leads me to say thank you for brother dale And thank you for the songs that he chooses. Thank you for his heart to lead us to worship. Not to put on a show. Not to put on a performance. But that we as a congregation might worship with those who are on the stage. It appears to me, Lord, we live in a time where people go to church and they just sit and watch. And our goal is that we all might participate together in the praises of God. Thank you for Gerald and Karen and their family. And thank you for the way I can remember times when we had snow in the parking lot and we came up here to, to figure out what we were going to do and Gerald's already out there plowing it. I think about the times when just in the background that they've worked and they've done things that have been so helpful. And I thank you for their words of encouragement. And I thank you for... Uh, The love that they show. And I thank you for your blessing upon their life. So give them safe travel. And protect them. And guard them as they go to Wyoming. And I pray Lord for their next church. And pray that you would lead them very quickly to a place where they can serve. And it's a place that loves Jesus. And a place that loves your word. And is true to the gospel. And Lord I want to pray for Danny Hudler. And uh, that brother's been through so much, and he's got more to go through. And I want to pray for him as he uh, has surgery, I guess coming up in uh, a week or so. And uh, pray that you would bless, strengthen his family, bless Gail during all of this. And we might look at all of this and say, oh, what's happening? This is the last thing that he needs. But, Lord, I believe in you too strongly just to say it like that. There's a reason and there's a purpose in everything we go through. And I pray you would see him through this. And I pray that you would put a song in his heart. And I pray that you would put joy in his soul. And I pray that you would give him optimism that this, too, has a purpose. And you're going to use him mightily. As Lynn Oldham has a stint put in in just a few days... I pray it would work and work well. I pray that it would do what it's supposed to do and pray that you would preserve and even restore his health. He may not even know what he needs. And and I pray that when it's all said and done, he'll say it feels so good to feel good because we thank you for him and we thank you for all that he does. And we thank you for the work that he does for the church and things that build up the body. And we pray, Father, for all of our church fellowship, that we might have health, that we might have strength, that we might have your blessing, your grace, your protection, and that we might live and walk in a a way that honors and glorifies you, that impacts other people for the cause of Christ, and that strengthens our church body. And so, Lord, we just want to say thank you, and we praise you, And we lay all of these things out before you, not because we're entitled to them, not because we deserve them, but because you're worthy of them and because you're a good God, a good Father, a good Shepherd, a good Savior. And we rest in you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would uh, take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus 24. Exodus 24 we're going to look at a part of this where the uh, story, the narrative kind of uh, continues from where we were last week. And uh, if you will go down to verse 11, Exodus 24, 11. And we're going to start reading about all of this. And uh, as we think about what this might mean for us, we've got to understand, whenever you open your Bible... If the first thing you say is, what does this mean to me? You're going to get way off track. The first thing you need to say is, what did this mean? Moses is the writer of Exodus. What did this mean to Moses? And what did this mean to the audience? Who was the audience? (coughs) They were those Jews who had come out of Egypt, out of slavery. And God is uh, making a covenant with them and he ratifies the covenant, and uh, blood has been shed and sprinkled, and it's uh, a wonderful story with a lot of pictures in it. As we said last week, these types of Christ, things that we can learn. Well, why does God want us to know these things? Why did He record them in His Word? What is this? have to do with us. I've never been a slave. I'm certainly not a Jew. What in the world does this mean? And remember, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, these things were written as a warning to us. And so we look at them and we go, you know, we're really not that much different. I'd like to think I am. And I'm sure you'd like to think you are. I mean, if I had been there, I would have crossed the river. um, You know, certainly I wouldn't have had any problem believing God right? And yet the truth of the matter is we're a lot like them and they are a lot like us. The human condition uh, is uh, very similar. Our sufferings tend to be the same. Our temptations tend to be the same. And our stumbling seems to be the same. All of us stumble in many ways, the Bible says. And so we need to kind of get this. And then I wonder as Jews read this, Years later, it's going to take them 40 years uh, before this generation dies off and the next generation goes into the promised land. And then you have, right after that, the book of Judges. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Can you imagine? How do you get from, as we read last week, Israel saying, we will do all that the Lord commands And we will obey him in everything to every man did what was right in his own eyes. How do we get to this kind of thing? And every once in a while, I think a good question to ask is, how did we get here? And if you're doing well in your walk with God and well in your spiritual life, ask yourself a question. How did we get here? Because it wasn't by accident. And you'll come to the conclusion it was the plan and the grace of God to bring you there. And it was also the idea that you obeyed what God said. You've paid the price. You've been walking with him. You've been fighting the battles. And so you find that there are great rewards as you enter into that. Some of you are in a place where you never thought you would end up. And at one time you were zealous for God. At one time you were praising him and honoring him and living for him. And now where do you find yourself? You look and you say, I never thought I'd be a victim of divorce. I never thought I'd be addicted to pornography. I never thought that I'd be an alcoholic. I never thought that I would be cold, indifferent, and hard-hearted. Well, a good question to ask then is, how did I get here? How did I get here? And so as we read this today, I want you to think about the differences between what they were doing and experiencing from God in their life and what happened later on to the nation of Israel in really a short period of time. And I want you to think about how quickly it is that people can fall away from walking with the Lord Jesus. I want you to think about as generations and time pass, That one generation can be on fire for God and the next generation walks away from him and abandons him. As we are seeing now, by the way, all the statistics show that the millennial generation is walking away from the Lord and COVID didn't help. There are a lot of people that aren't coming back and there are a lot of churches that aren't going to reopen. Uh, uh, Experts say that they expect... That a full 30 to 50% of the churches who closed will not reopen. That's a lot. And a lot of churches are just struggling, struggling. I heard of a church in northeastern Oklahoma. It dwindled from several hundred people to six. They can't pay their bills. They can't even pay the building insurance. They don't have any choice but to try to sell. The church that uh, Sammy and I grew up in used to be the largest church in Owasso. And they have a 1,000-seat auditorium, and they have about 50 people in it. I've heard of churches that are merging, churches that are selling and moving and disbanding. They're tearing down the buildings and all of this. And it reminds us, folks, the Great Commission... Has some practical aspects on it. We need to be reaching people and we need to be witnessing to people. We need to be bringing people to church and we need to be zealous about that. And as I think about what happens as we cool off from one generation to another, the good news is Jesus has still promised, upon this rock I will build my church. So thank you that, uh, thanks be to God that He will, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And churches have lifespans. I know that. Uh, We think about the seven churches of Revelation. They don't exist anymore. Uh, But they had their time and they had their purpose. But my prayer is that Graceway would be the exception to the rule that we would still be here. Uh, There would still be a congregation of doctrinally sound, passionate people who love Jesus and they would be here when Jesus returns. Can you say amen to that? And so we have our part in that. The Lord builds his church through our witness and through us ministering and engaging to other people so that we exalt Christ and so that we equip saints, want to make disciples, so that we evangelize the lost and so we engage and also that we engage this wicked culture. We were not called to cloister ourselves. We were not called to isolate ourselves. We're called to come together, worship God, be strengthened and equipped so that we can go out and be His ambassadors wherever we go. And that's the failure a lot of times of a lot of people and a lot of churches in a lot of situations. Well, let's move on and let's get to our text. And uh, verse 11 of Exodus 24. But on the nobles of the children of Israel... He did not lay his hand. In other words, he didn't kill them. So they saw God, and they ate and drank. Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. There's a purpose in Moses getting the law. See that? Teaching. And then it says in verse 13, So Moses arose with his assistant Joshua. Why Joshua? Joshua is in training to be the next leader. Okay? This is Moses imparting his life and his wisdom and his experiences to Joshua preparing him. And so Moses arose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up. ...to the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we come back to you indeed. uh, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man has a difficulty, let him go to them. Then Moses went up into the mountain, and a cloud covered the mountain. A cloud covered the mountain. The Shekinah glory of God. Now the glory, verse 16, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud and the sight of the glory of God, of the Lord, pardon me, was like a consuming fire on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So you think about this experience that Moses had. And it starts off in the passage that we read that he's with the elders of Israel. And they're all eating and drinking, kind of the ratification of a covenant through a meal And they're doing it in the presence of God. And they saw God, and yet they didn't die. That's unusual. You find anybody else when they get into the presence of God, woe is me, for I have seen the king, and that type of thing, because they were scared to death they were going to die. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies, and only once a year on the Day of Atonement, because anyone else that went in the holy of holies would die in the presence of God. And so when we think about this it's amazing that there the leaders of Israel on behalf of Israel are sitting before God they are seeing him and then they're comfortable enough to eat and drink. Uh, that must have been something. But the very first thing that I would answer the question is how did we get here? It Number one would be by devaluing or not valuing communion. Now, when we think of communion, we automatically think of the Lord's Supper. That's not wrong. That's not wrong. It's just that there's more than that. Communion kind of has the idea of community in it, kind of come from the same word, and it's the idea of having a relationship, having fellowship, having closeness, having some sameness together with somebody else. When we talk about uh, different communities, we might talk about the Asian community or something like that. What does that mean? They have something in common. When we talk about the religious community in America, we're talking about people that have some things in common. Well, I want you to notice here that Israel is seated in the presence of God, and God is revealing himself to them and they're eating and drinking with him. Um, but I ran across when I was studying something from uh, Arthur Pink. Now, listen to this Israel's history continued for almost 1,500 years after this memorable occasion, but never, never again did their elders, quote, see God, unquote, and never again did they eat and drink in his presence. Let that sink in. This is something they read about. This is something that they probably appreciated, but it never happened again. I wonder why. I wonder why. Well, let me go on and continue reading what he says. Sin came in. Their very, the very next uh, act was to break the holy law by making and worshiping a golden calf, and the next time we see them drinking, it is of the waters of judgment in Exodus 32:20. How unspeakably blessed to remember that what Israel, through their official heads, enjoyed for a brief season is now ours, is now ours forever. And a way has been opened for us into the very presence of God. And there, within the veil, we may commune with him. I looked at that and read that thing and I didn't immediately just go, boy, that's so great the privileges we have in Christ. The first thought that I had, it just kind of hit me how sad it was for Israel... But they never experienced what we read about ever again. Generation after generation after generation after generation. And they never experienced it again. And when I read in there that the next act that they did was to build a golden calf. It shows how fickle humans are. Including us. How there can be one moment where we say Jesus is Lord. And then we rebel against that. ...before we get home. It's amazing how we can do that. And it's also amazing to me... ...that they didn't value that so much... ...to even want to try to repeat it... ...or to see that happen again. They were too busy taking care of themselves... ...too busy doing what pleased them, weren't they? And we find that it's just a short period... ...from this point till the book of Judges... And then all the things that the prophets have to say, all the way up even to the exile to Babylon and all of that. It was a horrible and terrible thing that God's people did. And how did they get there? Because they did not value communion with God. And I wonder about us. Do we really value our communion with God? Here you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Here you are, you can be in the present. You're in the presence of God all the time. He never leaves you. He never forsakes you. But how easy it is to skip that quiet time. How easy it is to just venture off on your own. How easy it is to neglect prayer, how easy it is not to be an ambassador for Christ, how easy it is to let sin come into your life and to cherish it and to harbor it in spite of the discipline that God puts you through. We neglect sometimes and devalue the fellowship that we have with other people, with our parents, for example. You don't always appreciate your parents until they're gone. Can I get an amen on that? Now, there are questions I wish I had asked, and it's too late. There are things I wish I could do for my mom and dad, but it's too late. And that happens with friendships, that happens with all kinds of things. Every church, whenever I would leave, there'd be people that would try to cram into the last week we were there oh, we've got to have you over. We've been meaning to do that for five years. It's kind of what we do. We put things off, and all of a sudden it hits us. I should have appreciated you more. I should have ministered to you. But we don't value the communion that we have with other people. We don't value the communion that we have with the church fellowship. We're living here today in community and in communion with God and with one another. The reason we come to church, Hebrews 10, 24, is to uh, consider one another... Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews says, how we might encourage or stimulate or provoke one another to love and good deeds. You really haven't worshipped unless you've done that. It's a whole lot more than just attending. You're supposed to interact and you're supposed to encourage one another. We need that. We think about how we devalue communion when we say about services, "Ah, I'm not going tonight, it's just the Lord's Supper. Or something like that instead of valuing that bread and that cup because we're doing it in remembrance of Christ and there is Marilyn was playing this morning before we got or as we were coming in here the church's one foundation and I love that hymn and in it it talks about the mystic sweet communion that we enjoy with the Lord there's something special about taking the unleavened bread and taking the cup and remembering the sacrifice that was made for us. But if you don't value those things, if you don't value that communion with God, if it's an optional thing, if it's something that, uh, yeah, I met with God, but you know, then again, everybody meets with God, and we just go on with life like that, you'd be surprised where you will end up and how you will end up in just a short period of time. And so this is very, very important. It's a privilege. And so um, when these things are taken for granted, I can guarantee you, you pretty soon are going to take the sacrifice of Christ for granted as well. Oh, you'll know it. And you might even answer the questions right, but it won't mean near as much to you. And so I'm here to give you a warning. If you started to devalue fellowship with God, with people, with the church then you're on a very, very, very dangerous path and it's a downhill slope. Be very, very careful. Secondly, notice, how did we get here? By forgetting that the law and all morality Comes from God. Very clear in verse 12. Then the Lord God said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and I will, and be there, and I will give you tablets of stone and the law of God and the commandments which I have written that you may teach them. And so when we read those verses, we look and we realize this did not come from Moses and it didn't come from anyone else. Morality and the law of God comes from God Himself. And that's why you don't monkey with it. That's why you don't change it. That's why it doesn't get geared up for the times or anything like that. It is what it is, and God has said what he has said, and all of it comes from him. Moses, come on up here, and I'm going to give you on tablets of stone. That'd be a heavy book to carry, wouldn't it? And he said, and I'm going to do this so that you might have something to teach the people. And so the idea of receiving from God his word and then passing that on to other people is certainly very important. And we don't dare change it. We don't dare say, well, I'm going to preach something different. Nobody's interested in the Bible. I'll preach something else. You don't do that. When Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season, then we preach the word. And we preach all of the word, and we preach it accurately, and we don't twist it, and we don't try to make it fit into our times. It is what it is, and it says what it says. There's an aspect of discipleship in this Moses, I'll teach you, and then you pass it on to the people. And then Moses is there with Joshua. Joshua, you come up with me. And Joshua gets to observe and watch Moses and spend time with Moses so that Joshua is better prepared to take over the leadership. And 2 Timothy 2, 2 tells us that's what we're all to be involved in. We're all supposed to be making disciples of other people and passing on what we have learned unto them. Don't just assume that because you take your kids to church, they're going to get it. You need to be teaching them. Don't make the mistake of thinking that anybody who comes to church, they're getting everything that they need. They may need your involvement, your interaction, your friendship, and a relationship with you. It uh, really does matter. But if we don't have a firm conviction that the Word of God and everything that He says, and that His laws and that His morality, they come from Him, then you'll just kind of go with the flow. Times change, people change, and, well, that's the way people used to think. Ha, 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 isn't that funny? But no one thinks that anymore, and you'll find yourself in a bad situation. When the first Gulf War was about to break out, and the Allies were working together, George H.W. Bush was our president. Margaret Thatcher, the Iron Lady, was the Prime Minister of England, And about the time we were getting ready to go to war against Saddam Hussein in Iraq, apparently President Bush started having some doubts. I don't blame him. Sending young men and women into combat is something you really ought to think long and hard about. And Margaret Thatcher, in the way that only she could and in a very British way, she said, Now, George, this is not the time to go wobbly. You know what our problem is today in America? Christians and churches have gone wobbly. We no longer stand and contend for the truth. We look and see what the world says they believe and then we desperately find some way to try to line up with that and to show that we're woke, we're inclusive, we're up to date on everything that we do. And the truth of the matter is we need to go back And we need to go way back to the Word of God and what it says. And remember that the law of God and the morality of God is not up for negotiation. It was given by God. And therefore, it stands. And we need to be teaching it and passing it on to new generations. That's a big, big, big assignment. And number three, how did we get here? Well, there's something that happens. And there's an emphasis in this passage If you look down at verse 16, now the glory of the Lord. And that tells us something that we don't always think a lot about, and yet it's a purpose for which we were created. We were created to glorify the Lord and enjoy him forever. And yet the glory of God is the last thing on our minds when we wake up. The glory of God is the last thing on our minds when it comes to our stewardship. The glory of God is the last thing on our minds when it comes to a difficult marriage. The glory of God is the last thing that's on our minds when we think about raising and parenting our children, and yet it should be the very first thing. This is the emphasis of the passage. But number three, what do we do? We are worshiping self, our felt needs, And our experiences instead of God. You would be surprised how many people come to church. And their prayer is about themselves. And not about God. They don't have anything in their heart about oh God be glorified through us and our singing. And our response to the preaching of your word. It's more about I need answers. And I want this and if I don't get it here I'll leave and go somewhere else. And so we've got a generation of church hoppers. They never put down roots. And they never stay long enough to hear what they need to hear because they're so busy. And in this day where we can get just about anything we want on a podcast or streaming or something like that, we think that the same thing happens when we come to church. If that message from the pastor didn't stir me, didn't give me an experience if it didn't cause me to really feel goosebumps and all of that, if it didn't answer my particular situation, then I'm out of here and I'm gone. Because the true thing that we worship is not God, it's us. And we want and demand answers. And we want and demand that our needs be met. And we want and demand that we be satisfied. And then we have the audacity to call that worship of God. Think about that. There was a song when I was in high school about a man who was desperately trying to get the feeling again. Remember that? I think a lot of people come to church and they're not really worshiping. They're just trying to get the feeling again. And feelings cannot become your God. Experiences cannot become your God. And your own idea of what you need cannot become your God because you have no idea what you need. You're going to be barking up the wrong tree and you're going to be headed down the wrong track. God knows what you need. And what you need is what the old catechism said, that we are created to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And that's where you're going to find satisfaction and that's where you're going to find peace. And Israel forgot all these passages and the experiences of previous generation that were in the glory of God and enjoying the glory of God. And so you find here worshiping self, felt needs... And experiences. And there are whole churches built around those three things right now. That's their whole philosophy of ministry. It's not the word of God. It's not the glory of God or anything. It's those three things right there. Beware of those things. Because they teach people to worship something and someone other than God. And many times it turns into what I would call self-worship. Compare that to Moses who's in the glory of God... Compare that to Israel at that time at the bottom of the mountain, seeing the glory of God. Moses saw it as a cloud. They saw it as a consuming fire. And uh, it's just amazing that they were able to do that. And yet that was an experience that uh, wasn't duplicated, was it? In fact, when the Lord Jesus Christ came, the very glory of God himself in human form, they couldn't see him and they couldn't recognize him And they didn't know what they were experiencing. And number four, how did we get here? Well, I noticed something in the last verse. It says that Moses was up there uh, in the midst of the cloud. There was a six-day period and all of that. And it ends up the total. He was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. What was going on? Well, we mentioned it in the first point. The next act of Israel... Was to build a golden calf. To ask Aaron to do it. Ironic isn't it? Moses when he went up the mountain. He said you stay and wait here. And if you've got any problems. Aaron's right over there. Go see him. If you've got the dispute. Well they did. And what did Aaron do? He built them a golden calf. Moses' own brother. The first high priest. Built them a golden calf, and they worshiped it. When I look at that, I think about their excuse. See, the Bible tells us... Get to the right place here. In Exodus 32, verse 18, So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. But Exodus 32, 1 tells us that when confronted about the idol, you know what they used as as an excuse? Here it is. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And that fourth point is this know that spending time with God is going to be problematic to other people. You spend enough time with God, somebody's going to criticize you. You spend enough time with God, there are going to be people, even in your own family, that don't understand it. If you seek after what we have uh, looked at in points one, two, and three, and you truly are a worshiper of God, the world's going to hate you. People are going to turn against you, and your enemies may be those of your own household. You know, I've heard now since 1980, well, we don't want to push our children, and we don't want to make them do too much with the church because we're afraid that they'll rebel against it. I've always wondered why they don't say that about Little League. I've always wondered why they don't say that about education. In those things, it's always push, 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 push. Do some of them rebel? Oh, yeah, there are kids who say, my dad pushed me so hard in sports, I'll never play anything again. Yeah, it happens. But most of the time, we say, you're a part of a team, you've made a commitment, this is on the schedule, you listen to what your coach says. And we do those kind of things, but we never take that and carry that over to God. We never carry that over to the church. Those are always optional. And we wonder why we're losing a generation. We tell them, yes, you have to go to school. Yes, you will do your homework. Yes, you will do the extra credit assignment. And we're going to get this all done, and we're going to get you graduated. You've got to have an education. Yet we're afraid that if we give them any more than a little Bible story they're going to rebel do some people rebel against education yeah they do yeah they do but not all of them most of them use it and I just would like a show of hands how many of you grew up in a Christian home with faithful parents see it's not always true is it not always true and when I look at this and I see that Moses comes down from the mountain and he says, what in the world are you doing? You're breaking the very commandment you promised that you would never break. What is going on? Well, you were gone so long. And, you know, we didn't really know if you cared about us or what was going to happen to us. And we can't stay here forever. And so we, we needed some gods to go before us. And they used Moses... Communion with God as an excuse for their sin. And you know, your children might rebel. You might be forsaken by friends. The culture may turn against you and you suffer persecution. But my question as we conclude is simply this Is Jesus worth it? Even if my kids don't follow, I will. Even if my friends forsake you, by your grace, I won't, Lord. Even if society turns completely against us, is hostile toward us, and begins to persecute us, I still would walk with Jesus because he is worth it. He is worthy of whatever I may go through. So how do we end up in a state like this? Like Israel did, it's because we forget. We don't value communion with the Lord or one another. Ah, that was an experience for a long time ago, another generation. No big deal. It's because we forget that the law and the morality of God is an unchanging thing given to us by God. This is a standard by which we live and we are responsible to teach that and to pass it on to new generations. It's because we look around and we say, well, if I don't get something out of it, if I don't feel something, if I'm not happy and pleased with it, then I won't be back and I won't be a part of it. And we say that regardless of what God may think, because He might be pleased. And then we get to the point to where we're afraid that if we walk with God too closely, then we'll pay for it in some other area. And again, I conclude with saying, whatever the price, whatever the cost, and whomever it may be, Jesus is worthy. So if you go through some hurt and some pain, I'm just going to quit. I'm not going to be back. And I'm not doing that anymore to God. You're saying he's not worth it. And I'm saying you're wrong. The apostles testified of it. The prophets testified of it. Martyrs testified of it. And you've heard it testified for years. Jesus is worthy even if we are forsaken by family and friends or anyone else. Jesus is worth it. Well, I just can't do that anymore. Why? Because you have a low view of God. And I'm asking you today to raise your view of God and realize worthy is the lamb that was slain in every situation, wherever you may find yourself. He is worthy. He is worthy. Keep that in your mind. Father, as we think about this time we've had together, let us value it. Let us cherish it. And let us realize we don't have a guarantee that we're all going to be here next week. May we cherish every week in community with our brothers and sisters in Christ. May we understand that the reason we preach the Word of God and the reason we teach it to our children and to others is because it's Your Word. It came from You. And we don't dare mess with it or change it or try to accommodate this wicked world. And may we understand it's not about us and our needs and our experiences and our feelings. It's about Your glory. And may we raise our children and may we make the cry of our household that this is for the glory of God and live for your glory every single day. And may we understand that others may forsake us and others may use us as an excuse for their sin. But Lord, may we continue on and press on because Jesus is worthy of it all. And Lord, we can't do this on our own. You've got to forgive us. You've got to empower us and work through us. And let us press on to the mark of the high calling of Jesus and let us finish well. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.